If you've got a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 2. We're cracking on with our series on the book of James. We've been doing that over the last uh, few weeks. James chapter 2. We'll start in verse 14. It says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Uh, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, uh, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without deeds is dead. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would increase your presence on us this morning. You would come and fill us. You would come and speak to us through the scriptures. You would challenge us. You'd correct us. You'd lead us into all truth and into all righteousness. Lord, we would leave this place more like you, more like your precious son Jesus than when we walked in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to introduce you to a couple of, my, uh, couple of imaginary friends of mine. Uh, first of all, um, I'd like to meet Jack. Peace to any Jacks out there. Uh, Jack... Jack would call himself uh, a Christian, at least that's the kind of box that he ticks, you know, last time he was in hospital or wherever it was, he, he found himself having to fill out one of those forms. He goes to church every Sunday, every single Sunday, not just like, you know, high days and holidays, like every Sunday. Uh, he says his prayers uh, pretty much every day. He, uh, he used to read his Bible, like religiously, not so much anymore, but he used to read his Bible every single day. He's been faithful to his wife. He pays his taxes on time uh, from time to time, sort of reluctantly, but he puts on a brave face when he's at Waitrose or Tesco's and there's someone rattling a tin at him. He kind of puts in a quid. Um, he sort of does that. He, he, um, he likes to lobby his MP. Uh, he, he, he does that a lot. He, he's been known for making placards when he was off on his latest march protesting something or other but most of the time he kind of keeps himself pretty much to himself he's a he's a decent respectable chap and um jack he's got it in his head that when when the time comes for him to shuffle off this mortal coil 
he's in his head, he's expecting that when he gets to the pearly gates and St. Peter or whoever else happens to be there, they, they will bid him welcome. The problem is with Jack is, um, I mean, who am I to judge? But I'm not 100% sure he's actually a Christian. He's not, he's not really like, doesn't really feel like he's a proper one. Um, don't get me wrong, he's a good bloke and all that. But despite all of this Bible reading and all of this praying and all of this church going, uh, it just doesn't feel like he's really ever got to know Jesus. You know what I mean? Um, he keeps reading all of this stuff and he keeps hearing all of these sermons, but it's like none of it actually kind of kind of goes in. Uh, none of it's really gone in. It doesn't really mean very much to him. He's a pretty poor bloke. He just he kind of feels like he's been just trying to jump through a whole load of religious hoops, doing all the right things, but kind of sort of missing the point. He's sort of a bit like Saul, I guess, just before Saul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus and has this dramatic conversion and becomes Paul. Jack's probably a bit of a Pharisee. He's, he's kind of hoping to get to heaven, um, and, and he believes that the, the way he's going to get to heaven is based on kind of his view of what he thinks is his kind of good life. You know, he's, he's well-behaved good deeds, good life. That's going to get him in. He's read Ephesians maybe a hundred times, but it's never really sunk in. He's never really, it's never really kind of hit him where it says in Ephesians, for it's by grace that you've been saved uh, through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. He, He hasn't really kind of grasp that he's he's never quite got the fact that no matter how much he did no matter how much he does no matter how much how good his life seems to be or looks like it is um no matter how hard he tries it was never ever going to be good enough and that the only really hope that he ever had of his life being radically altered was if he threw himself on the mercy and the love of God and instead of trying to keep a catalogue of like good works, you know, not just trying to lead a good life. What he's missed is something the Bible calls being justified by faith. So that's Jack. Now meet my other imaginary friend. It's okay, I've only got two um, as far as I'm aware. Uh, she is called Jill. Again, peace to any Jills out there. Jill, she was invited to um, an Alpha course by one of her weirdo religious friends, probably like one of you. And um, she really didn't want to go, uh, but she heard that there would be free food and free drink and men. And um, so she went along and then sort of completely out of the blue. She was on a weekend away and at some point in the weekend away, and she'd kind of not been giving anything away up until that point, but at the weekend away, she, like prayed, the, she prayed the prayer. And if you were to ask her, she would definitely call herself a Christian. Yes, absolutely. I mean, completely a Christian. The trouble with Jill is that it's never really kind of got through to her. And this was a few years ago. So she's been around for a little while. Uh, She's been following Jesus for a while. It's never really got through to her that actually, well, Christians are supposed to be um, different. 
are kind of a little bit different. Kind of like a lot different. Um, she hasn't really grasped the idea that Christianity is a call to do life like differently, radically differently. And so Jill, I mean, God bless her, um, she's actually pretty hard work. She's, she's, she's actually not very nice to be around. Um, she isn't very kind about lots of people. She talks about everybody all the time to anybody, uh, even her friends. And so she hasn't really got very many nice things to say about people. Um, so she's pretty free and easy with her tongue. Uh, it turns out she's also pretty free and easy with her body. Um, and so given the right opportunity, and there seems to be quite a lot of opportunity, um, she will sleep around like when the mood takes her. That's how she does it. Uh, her house group leaders, she's in a house group, but her house group leaders have also said she's quite hard work and we don't know what to do with her. The other week they were saying they asked her to um, give up some time on a Sunday afternoon and help out at a food bank because the team was like running a bit low and Jill kind of had to really bite her tongue like, really hard to stop herself from laughing because it was such a ridiculous thing that she was being asked. It's like... Do you think I'm giving up any time on a Sunday afternoon? Like, do you know me? That's not happening. And so Jill, she's not really a Christian either, in my humble opinion. Not that I want to judge. Don't get me wrong, she's prayed the prayer. She's gone up to the front more times than you and I have had hot dinners. But despite all of these things and more, she's never really got to know Jesus. Not in any way that's actually making any sort of difference in her life. Jesus, uh, Jill's understanding of faith is pretty much come as you are. And actually, why not stay as you are? So what we've got in our passage from James is, is one of the pretty major bits um, of false thinking that, that, that has prompted James to write this next bit in his letter. And what James would say is, do you know what? Um, we are justified by what we do, not by faith alone. And this is the bit where we all get a little bit even hotter under the collar and start saying, hold on, hold on, time out. Heresy alert, heresy. <laughs> Tom, Jark, theologians among you, wrestle me to the ground before I lead you even further astray. So you'll be like, hold on a second, hold on, it's hot, but my brain is, I think, vaguely working. Um, I thought you just said, Ephesians, that Paul told us that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay? And now you're trying to tell me that faith without deeds is dead. It, 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 it's early and my brain is fuddled, but could you just make, make up your mind? Because I'm getting confused. This, is, this feels a little bit troubling. And I think it's a bit troubling uh, because it seems like, or it sounds like, or it looks like Paul and James are contradicting one another. Um, Paul is insisting that a person is justified by faith, and here's James saying what sounds like the opposite. Uh, Martin Luther was so offended by this uh, apparent contradiction, um, he wanted James torn out of the New Testament. Uh, he famously called it an epistle of straw, wanted to set fire to it, uh, if he possibly could. The thing is, I think that James and Paul are in fact trying to correct different uh, mistakes 
different sort of errors in different people's thinking. Um, I think that Paul is talking to Jack and James is talking to Jill. I think Paul is talking to the person who, who wants to buy and earn their ticket to heaven. The, the person who's kind of like, um, I'm, my, I need to get God to love me. I need to get God to like me. How will God love me? How will God like me? I know he'll love me and like me if I do lots of really, really good things. If I spend my life doing really good things, God will notice me and then he'll love me. If I only did more, surely God would love me more. Um, Must do more. Must try harder. Until they kind of collapse in a bitter and twisted, resentful heap on the floor. Uh, James, on the other hand, is talking to the person who I think kind of thinks that once you've got your passport to heaven stamped, your visa has come through, um, then... I'm in, so I might as well just kick back and enjoy the ride. This person responds to, you know, what shall we say? Shall we carry on sinning that grace may abound? Their response, whether they say it or not, in their heart is, yeah, why not? Absolutely. Live as you please, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die, and we get to spend an eternity eating, drinking, and merry. So I'm just practicing for eternity. Seems like a good idea. So in effect, Paul's dealing with the sort of complacent do-gooder, and James, I think, is dealing with the presumptuous do-badder. Does that make any sense? Paul is talking about that aspect of the, the spiritual um, essence of Christianity, which is this secret mystery, this work that God does in the human heart that none, no one can see. Whereas James is talking about the practical outworking of being a Christian, that the outward demonstration of having been redeemed, the, 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 the evidence of our salvation, the evidence that that stuff that Paul is talking about has happened in our heart, James is talking about. It's like, where is the outworking of this? And that has to be seen because it's an open and visible uh, work of God in the light. What Paul's talking about is a secret thing that's done by God in the heart. What James is talking about is the impact of that, the effect of that out in the highways and the byways. The, the fact is, I think Paul and James agree. They agree fundamentally that a Christian is a man or woman of faith. And what James, I think, is doing here is he's emphasizing that there are two kinds of faith, if you like. And one is a a living faith which saves someone's life. And and the other is a kind of dead faith which is just futile and really tragic. Really, really tragic. Now, how do you distinguish between these two kinds of faith? Well, according to James, um, you look at the fruit that they produce. Have a look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And the answer James expects, of course, is this emphatic no. You know, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. It's like, wake up. You know, you'll often hear us say around here, being committed to Jesus means being committed to Christ, his church, and his cause. Committed to Christ, his church, and his cause. And uh, James is very helpful. He's sort of got people like me who are 
preparing sermons a few years later, and so he kindly gives me four points, which I will now embark upon. <laughs> that was the introduction. So, settle in. <laughs> uh, first of all, what he does, he gives us kind of two hypothetical examples which illustrate a faith that aren't going to save anybody. And I've helpfully called them uh, the armchair philanthropist and the ivory tower theologian. Okay? So what he does then after that is he gives us two very real examples which illustrate a living, a dynamic, an authentic faith, the real deal. So he contrasts the two. So uh, he gives us the armchair philanthropist and the ivory tower theologian, and then he gives us Abraham and Rahab. All right. So let's just quickly whiz through those. Armchair philanthropist, have a look at verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And I think here James is like talking to people who, whose faith, in essence, is sort of tied up with their emotions. Um, people who sort of confuse their faith a little bit with, you know, feeling groovy, um, warm, fuzzies, uh, just, oh, I feel all like melted chocolate inside. This is amazing. My faith is just amazing. And James is really saying, do you know what? Feelings aren't enough. Put yourselves together. Um, he's sort of saying, you know, like, you're at home, you're in front of the TV, you're eating Ben and Jerry's and comic relief comes on and you're watching the clips of children dying somewhere in the world of some perfectly curable disease, all for want of a fiver. And it's tear-jerking and we get upset and we're sad between our mouthfuls of caramel choo-choo. Um, and we say, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> Kind of what he's saying is if all we do is shed a tear without parting with any cash, we're not actually doing very much. We're not making very much of a difference. And what he's saying really is unless our feelings of concern are accompanied by acts of concern, um, don't bother. They're pretty pointless. Um, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the importance of showing you know, proper care and respect for people who come through the doors of the church on a our Sunday, wherever it is we find ourselves, um, and not discriminating against anybody or showing favoritism towards anybody, but showing mercy toward. And, and verse 14 flows out from that as this immediate and practical example of what James was saying earlier on in the chapter. You know, you're here on a Sunday morning, and somebody comes in who's clearly in need. Maybe they've got a physical need. Maybe they've got an emotional need. Maybe they need um, food or clothes. Or I don't know what it could be. Um, maybe it's just someone who's new. Someone who looks uncomfortable. What is our reaction? My personal reaction. Not somebody else's. My personal reaction. Because if all we do is we say, oh, see that bloke over there? <gasps> he looks like he's a mess. Like he's really, like his clothes look at like in a terrible state. He doesn't look like he's eaten for a week. What a terrible, I, I, I really hope... Um, uh, that someone looks after. I, I really hope, like, there's the storehouse food out there. I really hope he knows where storehouse is and that he can kind of take a bag and I hope he knows how to find one. because he looks like he could really do with one. Or, you know, we're gathered around the coffee with our friends. We're chatting at 10 to 11 or 5 to 11, you know, just waiting for the service to start. <laughs> he says in passing, <clears throat> uh, 
Was that all right? Wasn't too bad, was it? I mean, I could go both barrels, but I, I won't. Just the one. Um, and you're there chatting away in the foyer because you haven't seen anyone since the night before. And <laughs> you're saying, did you see that chap this morning? Did you see him? I mean, he looked really stressed out. He looked really, he looked really anxious. He looked like really uncomfortable. He looked like, um, he looked like he'd stepped in here and was really out of his comfort zone. Just, I mean, I don't know if he's been. It didn't look like he's been to church before or ever anywhere like this. Um, I really hope the welcome team are doing their job, you know? I mean, they're wearing these blue T-shirts, but I hope they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing because they're on duty this morning. And I, I hope that they'll show him where to get coffee and I hope they'll offer to sit with him and I hope they'll pray for him because he looks like he could do with that kind of thing. If that's as far as it goes, um, it shows that our idea of faith um, is that it's all somebody else's responsibility. Our view becomes, I don't, I don't actually have to do anything, do I? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, isn't it enough that I feel concerned. That, that's, like I feel it. Is that not enough? The armchair philanthropists, I feel concerned, I get upset by these things, but I just don't get upset enough or feel them enough to do anything about it. And so for this guy, faith and effort are incompatible. Um, it's a bit like the student. Around exam time, you know, this time of year, we've lost kind of a few weeks. It's like, I've got my A-levels coming up, I've got my finals coming up, I'm not going to do any revision. I'm trusting the Lord. I'm just going to let go and let God and fail all your exams. <laughs> James is saying, rubbish, thinking, pull yourselves together. This kind of faith is basically, it's passive. And so um, it becomes, a faith becomes a way where we duck responsibility. And James is saying, it's not good enough, people. It's not good enough. Faith without actions is dead. Faith without action is no more a living faith than a, than a corpse is a living being. James says we have to move sacrificially to live out our faith and to meet the need. Our faith has to be accompanied by works and action. And if the works aren't there, we need to ask ourselves whether the faith is actually there. You loving James? It's not uncomfortable at all. Um, interestingly, Martin Luther he gets all of this, even though he doesn't really like James. He wrote this. He said, oh, it is a living and busy and active thing, this faith. It's impossible for it not to be doing good. Whenever you do not find such good works in a man, he's an unbeliever. <laughs> he really likes James, I think, secretly. He gropes for faith, but he doesn't understand faith. He talks and talks about faith with many words, but he doesn't understand it. Do we pass James's test? Does need arouse in us acts of faith as well as prayers of faith? The armchair philanthropist. Okay, moving on. Ivory Tower theologian. Have a look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And, you know, some people locate their faith in their feelings uh, others of us locate our faith in our minds, uh, thinking that faith is something cerebral only, something to be thought about, something to be pondered, something to be reflected upon. Sitting in our ivory towers, pontificating and cogitating and contemplating. 
and never actually getting round to putting any of the theory into practice. James says, do you know, that's not going to work either. What James says is, if you think that believing doctrines in your head is the same as saving faith, living faith, real faith, you're in some pretty strange company because even the devil himself believes all of that. The devil can quote the Bible from cover to cover. He's thought about this stuff a lot. I'm pretty sure he's not going to heaven. Theory has to result in practice. Ideas, these are good things, but they they must lead to engagement. Reading the Bible must lead to doing what the Bible says. Most distinctive thing about real faith is that it changes our behavior, not just our thinking. And in case we're any doubt about any of that, James then moves on to uh, not to further sort of hypothetical examples, but he gives us some genuine examples of life, um, living, saving faith that he quotes from the Bible himself. And the first is Abraham. Have a look at verse 20. You foolish person. I love James. Doesn't beat around the bush at all. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And you'll remember the story of uh, Abraham. He was commanded to take up his son, to take him up onto the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice to God. Not at all weird. Not at all strange. You know, great. Marvelous. Come on, son. We're going camping. Just only one of us is coming back. Um, Whichever way you look at this, this is an odd story. You know, we have Christians, we've been around forever, we've been reading our Bible. It's like, yes, this is obvious, of course. (laughs) Who wouldn't take their son up on a mountain and offer to sacrifice him if the Lord said so? It's an odd story. It's an odd thing, or extraordinary thing for God to do. Um, It doesn't make much sense because God had previously said that Isaac would be Abraham's heir and God would raise a great nation up through him all of which is pretty tricky if you're dead. Um, And it doesn't make very much sense either because in light of God's character, what we know about God, what we know to be true about God, child sacrifice isn't something that is high on God's list. Yet what Abraham made unmistakably clear to God was that he was prepared to sacrifice. The most precious thing he had, his own long-awaited, much-yearned-for son. Would we be willing to do the same thing? Would I be willing to do the same thing? Because Abraham trusted God. He had no idea. He had no idea why on earth God was asking this extraordinary thing of him. But he trusted God enough to believe that his promises would come true and that somehow God remains good And that he would work these things together for good. I have no idea how. I can't imagine why you're asking me to do this thing, God. But I'm going to stand on the truth about who you are. And Abraham trusted him. It was a measure of his faith 
that he was willing to trust God. You see, for Abraham, faith wasn't just warm fuzzies or intellectual conviction. For him, faith was something so real, so profound, so fundamental to who he was that he was compelled to obey even when he just couldn't have a clue about what was going on even when he couldn't imagine how this thing would work out what james is saying is that you know a person is justified not uh, just by what they say they're justified by what they do by what we do how we are choosing to live out this thing called christianity every single day and for some reason i don't know why god thought that it was important that Abraham went through this test. And just in case you weren't sure about it, just in case it hasn't happened to you yet, uh, we're all going to get that test too. We're all going to have to go through that test. And Abraham wasn't earning his salvation by being willing to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham was purely demonstrating that the sort of faith he had was this living faith that James is talking about. Abraham trusted God with a living faith. And it's a good thing for us to ask ourselves and put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. It's like, how would we fare in that situation? Would I pass that kind of test? Am I willing to make any kind of sacrifice, let alone the most precious, the most wonderful, the most long-awaited, most yearned-for thing in your life. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. What would that thing be for you? What would that thing be for me? And what would it be like for you and your relationship with God if that thing got taken away? Would we still be a believer? Would we still trust in him? Sometimes I think we need to ask ourselves the question of whether it's God we want or whether it's just his blessings or immunity from suffering or a life free from difficulty. Living faith uh, is a faith that's willing to make sacrifices. Love James. Love James. Verse 25, Rahab. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? So here's Rahab, and for this pagan woman, um, she's, she's, she's got a, a reputation. She, she's well-known. But for her, faith meant putting her life in danger, taking huge risks. She was going to be ostracized by her neighbors, all because she chose to side with God's people, even if that meant being a traitor among her own. I'm embarrassed just to talk about Jesus just in case somebody, like, rejects me. It's like, oh, if I tell them I'm a Christian, what will they say? What will they think? Will they still love me? Here's Rahab, like, laying it all down on the line to pursue God. And sometimes um, our faith requires that of us. It's risky being a Christian. It's an act of faith. It's an act of faith coming to Christ, and it's an act of faith living out the gospel every single day. We, we don't know. We can never know what our faith will require of us. 
It could be some kind of Abraham sacrifice. Or it could just be praying for our next door neighbor. And sometimes in our minds, they're like on a level. But the one thing that we can guarantee about our faith and our pursuit of Jesus is that it is going to require something. Actually, a lot of something. What James is saying to us is it's going to require something. And faith has to be expressed in a way that can be seen. And and to kind of put a seal on all of this, he gives this final illustration in verse 26. And he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know, we we all have this visible dimension in that we have physical bodies. But we also have this invisible dimension in our spirits. You know, how do we know that someone is alive? Well, it's usually because, you know, they keep moving like they're there in front of us. And I think most of you are still in that category of being alive. But, you know, we can see you moving and walking and talking and breathing and these physical demonstrations that we are, in actual fact, still alive and not dead. And in exactly the same way, a believer's faith is shown to be alive by those actions, that living, walking, talking, breathing. There's a Cliff Richard song right in there. No, 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 no. In exactly the same way, there's stuff that's associated with being a Christian that's like the equivalent of our walking, talking, breathing. You know, we're, we're no more spiritually alive without actions than we are physically alive without breath in our lungs. So what James is saying is we can't get to heaven by doing good deeds. And you can't get to heaven without doing good deeds. Our faith has to show, our faith has to be visible. Uh, Luther put it this way, salvation is by faith alone, but true faith never remains alone. Our actions and things we do, they don't earn our salvation, but it's our actions and it's the things that we do that are the evidence of the fact that we have been saved. Our actions don't earn our salvation, but our actions, our deeds, the things that we do, the way that we talk, the things that we say, the way that we are with one another. What what we do with our time and our energy and our money, these things are the evidence of the fact that we have been saved. James uh, would challenge us all to take a fresh look at our faith and find out where our faith is actually located. Is it in the armchair? some of us? Is it in an ivory tower for others? Or is it manifest day in, day out by the things that we're actually doing? Is it in our emotions or is it in our thoughts or is it in a tangible demonstration of the way that we are actively living this thing called life? Because if it's not, we just need to come, as always, to the cross. Uh, We need to throw ourselves at the foot of the cross and we need to ask for God's forgiveness for getting it wrong. So we all get it wrong, but that's okay. Let's come to the cross. Let's ask for him to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us, to fill us with his presence, because then it's empowered and equipped by his presence that we begin to start living out the faith in the way that he has always intended for us to live.
Enough. Thank you very much for your patience. Do you want to stand? I have the band back. And darling, do you want to rescue me or them?